You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And today is one of uh, one of our series of regular guy chats, and it's actually the first one of 2020. And the guy I'm talking to today, I actually had two friends that were trying to play matchmaker and make make sure that I I talked to this guy. And I don't even think they knew each other, but but two different people on the same day said, "You got to talk to Kevin. You got to talk to Kevin. You got to talk to Kevin." So uh, I'm proud to introduce Kevin Fitzmorris, and we're all going to talk to him. What's up, Andy? Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Very big fan of a lot of the work you do. Um, yeah, one of our mutual friends, she's been telling me about you for a while. And um, it, it's kind of one of those things like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll check it out. We passed by at work. And then she tagged us in a post together. And then someone else tagged us in a post. And I was like, okay, this is definitely weird. And we actually, we had a, a conversation before and it was like, we just hit it off. We couldn't stop talking. Yeah, I usually, for, for behind the scenes of any potential guests, I always talk to them first, even if they're you know, if they're coming, I, I have PR firms and publishers a, a, approach me sometimes. And I'm always like, no, I want to talk to the guy. I don't care what you're saying. I need to talk to that person first. And it's usually just like five or 10 minutes to make sure they're a good fit. And I really like to keep it short so that the, the show is more organic. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I couldn't get you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was, I was rambling that day, but I was very excited. <laughs> it was cool. So I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you for considering me. And uh, I'm excited. Cool. So why is it? that two of our mutual friends thought we should connect? Um, I think that we have similar goals. I think that we have similar purposes. Um, I believe that me and you have a gift in a sense where we, we speak to people in a certain way and we care. And we, the premise of your entire show here is we feel. And that's something that not a lot of men do. Um, I think that we live in a society today where it's sort of a – rub some dirt on it mentality, um, man up is, is a term. And, you know, that really worked when it was like the old coal mining days. And, you know, when it was like men couldn't feel you just, you, you work, you have sex, you go to sleep, make babies, and then you die. And that was pretty much the society. But obviously it's, it's changed a lot today. And I think that we are now in a kind of like a, a breakdown here for men where, we're just we're living in that old way, but it doesn't work anymore. And we're seeing a major increase in suicide rates across uh, between males, and like mental health issues. And it's like not being addressed because men can't feel, men can't hurt, men can't show emotion. And, and I I think it's a it's a very gray area because, so like for example, when my father passed away, I had to be strong for my mom and my sister because they were wrecks and I had to be strong for the family with the funeral. And I couldn't show my true emotion. And I knew that it wasn't the place for me because I had to be the strong one because that's how my dad raised me. Cause he was always like that. And then what would happen was when no one was around and I was in my room by myself, I would just ball my eyes out and I'll never forget. It was his funeral and it, they were going to close his casket for the last time. They're like, say your last, you know, this is the last time I'm ever going to see my dad for the rest of my life, dead or alive. He's, I can't physically see him. And when they closed that casket, it was like, it was the hardest thing for me to kind of hold it together. And 
really struggled with it. And I just turned to a friend and it was like, as soon as I looked at him, like I knew that I could release that tension and I could release that strength and I could push it onto somebody else. He could be strong for me now because I've been strong for everyone for the past five days. Now it's time for someone else to be strong for me. So I went and uh, I broke down and then we went to the, the grave site and it happened again when they lowered him and I knew that that was it. So I was like always had to be strong and tough, but this moment I couldn't. And so I feel like you and I see that that's a problem now because we're bottling sh- you know, things up. And I was about to swear. I don't know if I could swear on this. You're encouraged to. All right. We bottle shit up and we, we hold it in and it's like, we got to let that out, you know, and it, there's a time and play a therapy. I, I, I literally recommend it to anyone. You could be the happiest, most confident person in the world and feel like you have everything together. Go see a therapist, even if you feel that way, because I guarantee you'll find someone. I was saying, go in there and stir the pot, go <laughs> let stuff out, like get it off your chest, work through those problems. Cause it's so healthy. So we have this like masculine, this toxic masculinity really in today's day and age. And I think that there's also a thin line because we also have people who overuse that. And we have people who, you know, really can't step into that dominant male role because they might show too much emotion. They might be too sensitive, too soft. So it's kind of like, what are we, what are we even out here? All right. So you mentioned that your dad taught you to be strong. Um, but kind of what you're describing in this situation, the strength was, was being quiet and holding everything. So is, is that what strong means to you? Yeah. I, I emotionally strong is somebody who you hold it all together when you have to, and you fight through what you have to fight through. But I also feel that strength is a time when you can actually really show it too. So it really, it's, it's all in context. So for like me, during those couple of days when, you know, when we were going through the funeral process, my mom and sister, we were also in shock. I had to be strong in that sense, but I knew that there was a, like, it was okay to show emotion, which, in, and also in my eyes is strength too. So I feel like it's all the context in the situation. There's times where you have to be strong for other people. And then there's times where you can like, it, it takes strength to admit that you have a problem. It takes strength to admit that I'm not feeling okay. It's you know, that there's a lot of people who like, They'd rather just ignore it. And instead, you know, like for me, I have some mental health issues. I've, I've struggled my whole life, depression, and anxiety. And it, it's, it takes a lot for me to be like, to go to somebody and be like, I've struggled with anxiety my whole life, or I've struggled with depression my whole life. And, and so it really, it depends on the context of the situation. But I think that strength is keeping it all together and being there for someone and holding your feelings so that you can be the strong one. Because, you know, I, if, my, if I was crying, my mom and my sister were crying, you know, who, like we would, yeah, you could go to other people in your life, but I knew that they needed me to be there for them. So through that duration of, of that trauma that I experienced in my life, I knew that that's where I had to show that strength. Okay. But there were other situations, like I had a, a breakdown a couple of months ago, and it was by far the hardest thing I've ever experienced. To, to be able to actually, like a couple days, it was like hard, you know, to, to, wow, what's going on and try to figure it out. And then just for one day, just to be like, I don't know what's going on with me right now. And I'm really scared. I, I don't know what's going on with my mind and my body right now, but I'm terrified. That took a lot for me to kind of admit and, and then go and be like, I need help. I need to go see somebody. Right. Yeah. Because I'd like to point out that to me hearing your story, not showing emotion and, and appearing, putting on the facade of strength, of, of not feeling something. I just, I hate that that's considered strength by anyone. And right. to me, the strong guy is the person that went to your room, felt safe, and let it all out. 
Right. Because too many guys don't do that. They think strength means never showing it. Never, even if alone. Because you even used the word breakdown. And I, I fucking hate that word too, man. Showing emotion should never be considered a breakdown. Right? No. I released it. I right. was in fucking mourning. My dad is dead. I'm going to cry. If you right. didn't, I'd really be concerned that something was wrong with you. Right. Exactly. And, and I agree. I agree with everything you did say. So how, like... It, it was just if if I felt in that moment, and maybe this is kind of where I'm, you know, we we might not see eye to eye on this. If if I wasn't strong for the people that needed me through that situation, if I didn't actually, you know, when the time when we're when we're going through the whole funeral process, when we're calling the the, the parlors and we're trying to, you know, the hearse and the days when it's just like I can't believe he's gone, I can't believe he's gone. Like it, it, I felt in that moment that if I broke down and cried, we would all just be you know, like, who do we go to? And, and I, I, I see exactly where you are coming from too, because if I could cry right there and actually show that I'm hurting too, I actually wouldn't have had the trauma that I had because what I did was I hit it, kept it in secret, never showed anyone that I was going through it. Then it actually blew up almost a year later when I went through a rough breakup and this, like all these distractions I had were suddenly gone. And and that's where it was like, I never dealt with the death. I did it in like secrecy in my room when no one was around. But like as soon as someone would call me or come around, <clears throat> wipe the tears away and I'm good. You know, yeah. no, it's fine. I make jokes about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is strength, my friend. Yes. Knowing this, being recognizing this. Again, we, we get it from lived experience. But but I what God, I mean – I, I don't wish a death upon anybody, <laughs> but again, and then in that, in that situation, you know, all, we, we operate under all these assumptions, but it's yeah. like, what, what if your mom and your sister came to you? Oh my God, dad's gone. And you all three hugged each other and all three cried. And I just, that, that, that's, that's a strong family yeah. like to me. Right. No, I agree. And, and I certainly can't have always done that. I have not done that. But again, that I, that to me is one of the, one of the great challenges and opportunities for men to, to realize that strength, strength isn't in our denial of emotion. It's our willingness to feel it and express it. Cause I found over and over when, when willing to express the emotion that shows up, the moment it shows up, it passes quicker. Yes. Right. And you, so you don't have something, you're not, you're not striking out of people. You're not blowing up a year later because, Oh yeah, now I realize that hurt. I felt hey, I, I never actually dealt with that. And, and it's funny you bring that up. So, a couple back in um, November, and we talked a little bit about this before in our previous conversation, but back in November, I uh, was just really had gotten in a very tough spot, really depression, really anxiety driven, just got in my own head. And I, it was kind of one of those, like I went down that spiral of depression and I got caught in the maze of anxiety for the, the, the terms there. Uh, and what happened was I was having panic attack after panic attack. It was like, it started with negative thoughts. I started saying, I'll never figure it out. I'll never get my life together. I'm tw I just turned 28 years old. I've never had a full-time job. Um, I've worked tons of part-time jobs before. I have no consistency. I went through an, a, a, a rough breakup, I guess I would say. I was seeing a girl and it, it just didn't work out and it ended really, really poorly. And there was just a lot of negativity that didn't make me feel great. So what happened was, I started to get really depressed and then my body just kind of went out of control and I lost control of my mind and I started triggering panic attacks and I would have four or five of them a day and it was just awful. And so the first thing I did was I talked to my, my therapist and she's like, okay, like, you know, you can do this, whatever. Well, there's so many different ways to heal it. So I started doing all this research. 
And then one day I can't take it. I have a, whole, a bunch of panic attacks. I call my doctor and I go and see him. And all he does, doesn't even ask me questions. He goes, oh, you've been having panic attacks? Yeah, how many? I don't know, like three or four a day. Okay. Writes me a prescription, hands it to me. And I didn't, I read the side effects of the prescription and I was like, I don't want to take this medication. And so when you talk and you say that you have to sit there and deal with it, what I did was I actually started to do research and I came across cognitive behavioral therapy. Re rewiring the brain, rewiring the way you think, because everything is, you have a thought, you react to it, and then that triggers chemical reactions and all sorts of wild stuff. And that's kind of how we function as human beings. And so I stumbled across this study of this woman, Dr. Claire Weeks, she wrote it in like the 50s. It was a floating therapy. And what you do is you embrace everything. And this is where it, it comes in, where I, instead of me just taking a pill and putting off the fact that I have anxiety and depression, and then what I would have done is I would have taken the pill and what the pill does, it literally numbs you emotionally and physically. So you don't feel anything. And then I would have gotten to a numb state until the point where I forgot what happened. And then I would have went on with my life and then three, four, five, one, however long years later, it would have popped back up like whack-a-mole. But instead I've sat here for the past, I don't know, three months and dealt with every panic attack every depressive episode, every suicidal thought, every anxious thought, every single like horrifying, terrible experience, I would glue myself to my chair, literally sit there and do nothing and just embrace it and just let it pass. You know, there's so many symptoms to anxiety, your heart races, you shake, you sweat, um, you know, you, you get stomach pains, you get headaches, like whatever the case may be. And I just had to sit there and just deal with it. And then you have all these, these mental things that you go through where you have, um, depersonalization, derealization, where nothing feels real. You disassociate, you mentally space out. So I would go through this and instead of me taking a pill or instead of me, my dad dies and I work a lot and I, I race to find a girlfriend and I try to fill my days with, so I don't sit and think and deal with it. I did that and distracted myself. And then when all the distractions went away, I was like, oh damn, I'm really sad. I miss my dad. It's the same experience here where I take a pill and I do whatever I have to do. And then you know, stop taking the medication. And, and then you like, I spiral back into it. It's like, Oh, geez, I took a pill for six months and it made me feel better. Now I'm not on it. Now I feel like shit again. I got to take the pill again. It's like, no, you deal with it. You sit here, you face it head on. You, you know, you, you feel every single emotion because that's how you actually get through it. Whatever you want to do, you have to break those barriers and get to the other side. And when you get to the other side, that's where your cure is. And you've, I know that you've experienced a lot of similar things where you just have to sit down and just face it. You can't put things on hold. You can't pretend it's not there because it's always going to be there. It might, it might disappear for a while, but it will come creeping up in some flash when you're 35 years old and you know, you kind of don't feel, then all of a sudden you start feeling anxious. Like, Oh my God, I remember when this happened, this was terrifying. And then boom, you're right back in it. But if you sit, you deal with your problems, you face them head on. That's where growth is, and that's where strength is. So what was your experience doing that? Like when you say, I sat and dealt with it. So what does dealing with it mean? What did it, you know, was it, was it quick? Was it horrible? Was it torture? Terrible. It was, honestly, I like, so this is going to sound so wild, but this was even worse than when my dad died. Like to me, to deal with what I've dealt with for the past couple of months, I'm not like saying that in like a hero sense, like, oh, what I've dealt with. But it was really, at first, it was really traumatizing because I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was going to die. I thought I would never be the same. I thought I'd end up in a nut house somewhere. I thought all these anxious thoughts and you just like in the moment 
it's such a it's such a believable thing, but it's completely irrational. Like I used to go to my therapist and be like, "Do you think I have any traces of schizophrenia?" She'd be like, "What? I've seen you for three years, absolutely not." But I was so terrified that I would never be the same again, and there was something wrong with my brain because I didn't understand what was going on. So I would literally like, if I had like a suicidal ideation, like if I was if I had a thought, an anxious thought, like, so we all have intrusive thoughts. People just don't want to talk about them. We all have really terrifying thoughts. You could have thoughts of hurting somebody, hurting yourself, child molestation, murdering people. Like they pop in your head and you can't control them. And everybody has them. They just don't want to open up about it. And so I would like have somewhere, I would just imagine killing myself. And it's not that I had the desire to, it was, I was in such a rut that like, What's, well, what's the way out? There's no way out. And it's like, okay, you could, you know, take your own life. It's like, well, I don't want to do that, but I also don't want to feel this way anymore. So like, I would have thoughts of like, you know, me t- driving my car as fast as I can into a tree. And like, what, what would that be like? And you would, I would just have to sit there and just think about it and just like, let it pass. Or if I was having a panic attack, what they tell you to do is because nothing, there is nothing that could actually happen to you during a panic attack. Physically, the worst things that'll happen to you is you'll throw up or pass out. And if you've never had a history of passing out, you won't pass out. And it really takes a lot of working up. Like you have to have like a really long panic attack after you just ate a bunch of food for you to throw up. So those are literally the two worst things. So when you understand that, when you get a panic attack, before my reaction was get up, pace, walk around, try to find something to like catch my attention, freak out feel completely uncomfortable, feel like I'm going to die, feel like the world's caving in on me. And it was just like, I would do that for 10 minutes, two hours, like however long the panic attack would last. So that was like my, you know, get out of it. And one of my crutches was to call my sister. So I would all, anytime I get a panic attack, I just redial, end phone, redial, end phone until she picked up. And then she'd pick up the phone. Hey, Cal, I'm having a really bad panic attack. Can you talk me out of it? But now I have to sit there. I have to actually embrace them. And you have to glue yourself to your seat. You literally can't move and you can't do anything. You just have to let it flash through you. So I would sit there through these panic attacks and like, I'd have one and, and you're like, okay, it, it's gone. Well, where is it? And you'd like be paranoid of when the next one was going to come. You get caught in this anxiety maze because you fear them. When you sit there, cognitive behavioral therapy, you remove the fear from panic. You remove the fear from depression. You remove the fear from suicidal thoughts. You remove the fear from panic attacks, like whatever you're going through, you realize it's just a thought. We're just balls of energy at the end of the day. You know, there's nothing more than just thoughts. Yeah. Depressive thoughts, they stink. Hopelessness, feeling like there's no, there's no sense of future, feeling like you want to die, feeling like you'll never be able to get it together. Like those all suck and it's really tough. But when you just sit there and you just embrace it, you realize it's just a thought, you take the power away from it and then you get your power back. And I can confidently say sitting here in this chair today, I am at the complete end of this and I feel like I am ready to take on the world. Like I've removed uh, so funny thing. I've always really struggled to talk to women in person, which is crazy because I'm such a social person and I'm always like the life of the party and I'm always making all the jokes and I have the personality and I've always struggled to do that. And since I've removed the fear from like anxiety and depression, and all that, I almost feel like I removed the fear from a lot of things in my life because we're our own worst enemies and we suffer more in our minds than we do in person. So it's like, you'd, you'd see a pretty girl, you'd be like, I'm going to go up to her. And then immediately your first thought is rejection, getting a drink thrown in your face, getting laughed at all her friends, like everyone at the bar, like, ha ha, look at this guy. He's going to go up and talk to this girl. She said, no, and none of that ever is going to happen. The worst thing that will happen, you go up, she's like, I'm all set and walks away. Like, so 
since I removed the fear from the anxiety and the depression, and, and it would literally be just physically me sitting in a chair and, or like laying in my bed and just accepting it. Like it would happen in public. I'd be at the gym. I remember it happened one time during a workout, a CrossFit workout, sweating. I'm t- exhausted. My heart's already beating wicked fast and I start to get anxiety. And all I did was I just grabbed the barbell and just continued my workout while I was having a panic. I was Superman because of all the, you know, the adrenaline rushing through my body. But I just, I had to face it head on. And it was so terrifying at the beginning. Like there were so many times where I just wanted to get in my car and just drive to the hospital and just walk in there and be like, I have anxiety. I have really bad panic attacks. I sometimes want to kill myself. I'm super depressed. Like fix me. Give me everything you got and like sedate me for like the next month so I don't have to think about it. Put everything in me and then just wake up and I'll feel myself and I'll go back to living my life. But that's not how it happened. (laughs) You never deal with it because it comes right back up. So you face it head on right now. You conquer that. And now I almost feel as though I've always struggled with anxiety my whole life in the sense of like minor anxiety to full-fledged panic attacks. So now that I've done this, I almost feel like I was – given like a tool, like a tool that I can use the rest of my life where it's like, I almost feel the next panic attack I have, if it's tomorrow, if it's in two years, if it's in 15 years, like there'll be nothing. I remember I'd never been on a plane before and I was going to Florida and I got on the plane and I had the worst one ever. The engine started up, the door shut and they were like, okay. And we start to move. And I was like, I'm trapped in here for five hours. And it's just like full fledged panic. And I looked at the flight attendant and I was like, I'm having a panic attack. She's like, okay, like you'll be all right. Like relax. And it was like, so it was terrifying. And then like we got in the sky and whatever, and it went away. And it was like every panic attack you've ever had, like, oh yeah, I survived that. Like nothing actually did happen. Like, oh, I was okay. So it's like dealing with that. So is it to the point, um, are you most like looking forward to a panic attack to see how quickly you get through it now? Or is it, we're not that far yet? <laughs> uh, no, you know what? I, I, it got to a point in my recovery that I actually used to egg them on. And that's part of it. Like, so I've, I've read Dr. Claire Weeks wrote two books, Hope and Help for Your Nerves about, it's a lot of people with agoraphobia can't leave their homes. Um, but I mean, I couldn't really do much. So I felt like I related in a sense, but I read a lot of the books and one of them is uh, you take control back with, from anxiety when you egg it on. So like, if you feel like you're getting anxiety, if you just sit there and egg it on to have like a full-fledged panic attack, you won't actually get one. Because you can't, because if you actually believe it and you're like really confident about it, you won't ever get a panic attack because you take the control and there's no fear. If you're egging it on, you want it, you remove the fear from it. And that's tough. I, that took me a really long, I used to get very scared. I'd be like, oh yeah, come on, anxiety. Okay, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding back. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I bluffed it a little bit, but there was one night where it was really bad. I, uh, I couldn't catch my breath. It was like eight hours. I was awake. And I just stayed up all night long and your thoughts are racing. Like every terrifying thought you could have, it's like a TV with millions of channels. It's just clicking like all these fears and anxious thoughts. And it's like, I I, I laid in bed and I just, I couldn't catch my breath. It lasted for eight hours. Like I felt like I was going to die for eight hours. And it was the worst panic attack I've had to date. And it was just one of those things where like, I just, I would embrace it. And then it would go away and immediately come right back up. And I couldn't get rid of it. Like that was probably the worst I was. Um, I woke up. I didn't wake up. I laid down. And the next morning, like when people were supposed to be getting up at like seven or eight in the morning, I didn't sleep at all. I called my doctor and I was like, I'm coming. My therapist I was like, I need an emergency appointment as soon as you can. I'm coming to see you. And if you tell me to go to the hospital, I'm going to go. And she was like, okay, come see me. And I went in there and she started laughing at me. And it was, it was kind of like, I got really frustrated, but 
I thought of it like this, like when it was all said and done, like, so when you have a, a kid and they come up to you and they're like, daddy, mommy, there's a monster under my bed. You're immediately like, there's no monster under your bed. Monsters don't exist. So you go up and check, make sure there's like no person or animal or anything, but logically, you know, there's no monster. That's adults with anxiety. Like, oh my God, I can't catch my breath. No, you can, you actually can. Like you're, you're, you could pass out right now and your heart would function fine. It's the strongest muscle in your body. Your heart's actually designed to, to beat faster. You know, anxiety is very misunderstood. Panic attacks are very misunderstood because they are our triggers for when we were primal, when there was like saber tooth chasing us. Like anxiety was there to help you so you could run faster. That's why your heart beats. So it pumps more oxygen to your muscles. And that's why you shake because your muscles are really tense. And there's so many different factors to adrenaline that when it pushes through your body, but it doesn't know the difference if there's a saber tooth tiger chasing you or you're laying in bed watching the office you know, anxiety is going to, going to pop up. And, and so when you start to realize this stuff, you're like, there's nothing wrong. So at the end of it, I'll admit, I kind of feel stupid. Like, I kind of feel like I've wasted four months of my life. Like, why? I can't even think back. Like, I can't even rationalize with my old self. Like, why did I even think some of those things? But it's in the moment. It's that kid with a monster under his bed. Yeah. Cool. And to go back to talking about thoughts, one of my favorite quotes, and when I first heard it, I was like, what? You know, that was, it was groundbreaking for me. But uh, Louise Hay says, it's just a thought and a thought can be changed. And much of you like, it can? No one did that to me before. <laughs> like, a thought comes, fuck, I got to act on it. Oh, here comes a thought. Oh, it's going to terrify me. Oh, here comes a bad thought. I have to, you know, they're tormenting. Like, oh, wait, yeah, it's just a thought. And you, you take that power back. Like, you're like egging on the anxiety. Like, you're in control. It's, yeah. not, it's not an attack on me if I'm saying, come on, right. let's go. Like, you know, you're, you're in charge. So it's, you know, we, and this took, this, it took me a long time to get this too, that we, we are responsible. And when we take responsibility, we can, we can change and we can prove ourselves much easier than when we don't want responsibility and we want to like blame and point and oh, it's all that. No, they did this to me and no, oh, I'm crazy. You know, it's almost when in the midst of it, it can be easier to just go, oh, I'm fucking crazy. Put me in the hospital. I give up, you know, dose me out. I don't care because it takes work to, to feel to, yeah. to move through your shit and, and to realize, you know, to realize who you really are. Right. You're not this chaos. Right. It was, it was so fucking hard. Like, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, it was, there were just so many ups and downs. And the thing with mental health, and you know, too, it's not linear. There's no, you, you don't break your leg, go to the doctor, throw a cast on it, come see me six weeks, muscles coming back together, bones are coming back together, you'll be good, let's take the cast. It's not like that. There were days where I'd feel on top of, I'll never forget. There was one full day in like the middle of November that I had no anxiety or depression. And I was like, this is done. And you know what happened? That was the night that I had that panic attack where I couldn't catch my breath. Hmm. It, it's, it's just, it's so up and down. There's no, there, there's no like consistency of it. You know, you can't like sit there. You can't look at a chart. You can't, I couldn't go to my therapist be like, okay, Kay, how far along am I? Am I almost done? Like, there's no way of looking at it. But like you said, a thought is just a thought. And we like, you can't control when they come. And that's why we have terrifying thoughts. It's how much power you give them. And when you're anxious, so I work at a, I part-time as a bartender, a great wolf lodge kids resort. And there was one day I was driving into work and I actually had a panic attack because I had an intrusive thought of me punching a kid in the face, just a random thought of me punching a kid. And I said, Oh my God, what if I have a panic attack? I black out. I just start up a bunch of little kids that's not who i am but the fact that i was scared of it and had anxiety just shows that i'm actually that person you know it's the person who like if i thought about punching a kid 
be like, yeah, I, I, I could probably take out 20 kids, you know? It's like, that's the person that like, okay, we should watch something. But like, I had so much anxiety from that one thought and we give so much power to them and they come and go. We have what, 15,000 thoughts a day? They, we even have, I think, more. I believe that we have more than, I believe that we do have like different layers of thoughts. They're, they're just so quick and so all over the place that we don't, we don't notice just as many of them, you know, but when you're like in your day and you're just functioning normally, you're like, you can have an intrusive thought. You can have a regular thought. You don't even pay it attention. You know, you can yeah. only think so many. It's it, it. And even in that story, I find it's, it's when we judge the thought, Oh, that's yeah. a bad thought. I don't want that thought. That makes it worse. That's, that's almost feeding it. Right. Like, Oh, I, sh- I feel like punching a kid in the face. And I, I almost thought you were diffusing it with a joke. Like, you know, I bet I could take out 20 kids pretty quick. You know, that would like make yeah. me laugh at myself and, and nothing would happen. Right? See, I could say that now, like yeah. as a, a not anxious person, like if I could take on probably 25 kids, like whatever. But in the moment it's like, Oh my God, I'm so terrified because my, all my fear was driven by the loss of control. And I felt that I couldn't control my thoughts anymore, which I never have been able to. But when I was anxious, it's like, they're so like terrifying and you have so many of them and like the anxious thoughts. I mean, I can go on. There was, uh, I thought somebody like poisoned my food one time I ordered out and I was like, what if there's poison in this? And I didn't want to eat my dinner and I ordered food. I didn't even touch it. I threw it away because I just, for some reason had an anxious thought. Like you're so paranoid about the dumbest things, but I gave that thought so much attention. Now I could like go somewhere and be like, Oh, salmonella in here. Like whatever. I'll probably be out of work for a couple of weeks and just eat my you know chicken or whatever the case may be. And we have control over how much power we give thoughts, like you said, you know? So it's like, as men, we're just designed to just not give anything power and to just, you know, be bulky and go out and work in the yard and, you know, come in and have sex with my wife and have kids and go to bed, pay taxes. Like that's how we are. But like, we can also like, you know, feel too, like that's, that's okay. You know, we're allowed to have anxiety. It's a, it's a normal human trait. My goal has never been to, to not have anxiety anymore. My goal is to overcome it. I don't want to not be anxious because it's, a, it's an emotion. And it's also a positive one in a sense when you think about it because it protects me from danger. So if I don't feel that anxiety and I don't go through all these experiences and everything, if I just took that pill and just took the pills and became numb, I would have never learned what I learned. I would have never went through what I went through. I would have never felt all the nights that I would stay up crying, wondering what was wrong with me, all the fear of I'm going to go crazy, all the fear of I'm going to, I'm going to die. All the fears, all feeling everything is what woke me up. And it woke me up. One of my favorite Robin Williams quotes is you're going to have bad days, but they'll always wake you up to the good things you're missing out on. And today where I stand, I can see the path that I'm on, you know, and I, I feel as though I just, I realigned myself and I learned what I was doing and it was all through feeling. And it's like, if we just sit and distract ourselves, we just become emotionless apes. That's all we, we are. You know, we're, we're no different from like a dog. Like you don't like, you don't have a purpose. You don't have a drive. You know, it like, it's okay to feel happy just as much as it's okay to feel sad. Like I feel like people misconstrued that. Like we're always supposed to be happy and everything's supposed to be sunshine and fucking rainbows and perfect. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. Be sad sit with it you know like when you have depression welcome it in have a cup of coffee with it ask it why it's there don't kick don't shut the door on and say get out of here because you know what's going to happen it's just going to sit there and look at you in the window open the door let it in fucking deal with it realize that we all have problems life sucks for a lot of people but there's good days too and you'll get there but if you just leave it outside it's going to hang out on your porch let it in you know when you have depression when you have suicidal thoughts that it's 
it's a chemical reaction in your body. And it's also a mix of situational stuff too. You know, when you, when you experience those, like, yeah, they stink. You don't want to think about not dying. You don't want to think about, you know, driving fast into a car, hanging from a tree, whatever, but realize what it is and then just embrace it and just be like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I know that I won't do that. Or, you know, I know that I want to live or whatever positive affirmation you can tell yourself, like you said, you know, the, the, the thought, you can have another thought too, just as quick as you had that thought. And though we can't control where they come from, you could still try to right the ship a little bit. Yeah, because you, you can choose your thought. Right. I'm having a bad thought. Wait, I'm going to choose to focus on that I need to buy eggs this afternoon. Like whatever, you can, I'm going to put my focus on something else. Right. But, uh, and, and everyone does go through this, as you said. Uh, it's, it's just, it's so crazy that there are people out there that just, they won't feel anything, you know, like I, I had a friend and he went through a really rough breakup and it was like a matter of three days. Like they were together for a long time and she cheated on him. It was so messy. And like three days later, he was like acting like he was okay. You know, like, like I was after my dad died, you know, like, Oh, everything's fine. I'm okay. I gotta be strong. And till this day, he's not the same, you know, he's not the same person. And it's, it's like, it's really tough for me because I care about him a lot, but he's one of those people. He just works and comes home and then he just hangs out until he goes to bed to wake up and go to work the next day. And he's not really happy with what he's doing in this situation. It's spilling into other areas of his life. Like it doesn't just, you know, live and die with one certain situation. If you don't take care of your emotions and you don't deal with it as a man and you don't, you know, it's okay to, to cry. Like I've, I watched this movie Manchester by the sea. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I purposely watched it because someone was like, it's the saddest thing. And I was like, I'm cool. I'm down for a cry. I had no problem. I balled my eyes out. I had a box of tissues, ate my Ben and Jerry's. Like I was, I was full fledged, had my feet up with my fuzzy slippers on. Like I have no problem doing that just as much as, you know, I have no problem going and lifting heavy shit at the gym or doing whatever you would consider masculine, you know, and releasing all the testosterone in my body. Like it's okay because if you don't, it's just going to bother you. And it's just the depression on your porch. You got to let the, you got to let it in sat just as much as you want to let happiness in. Like, think about this, Andy, how boring would your life be if you woke up every single day and everything was perfect. You never had any problems and nothing wrong ever happened to you. You get pretty fucking bored after a while. Right. That, that's why, we, you know, it's not, it's not just okay to cry. In it. Like it's needed. It's needed. part of a lot. You must do it. If you like, I've met guys, I've, I've talked to men in their late eighties who say they haven't cried yet. Yeah. And in, and in a 10 minute conversation, they start crying because no one gave them the space. Well, why? I, well, what, what do you, what, what, what are you thinking about that? You, you wish you could cry over that you never did. And right. that's all it took. It took someone willing to, to kind of be there for them and take out that cork and let it all go. And this could have happened decades ago and there right. wouldn't be decades of pain and stress and suffering. So it's not that it's okay. No, it's fucking mandatory. Do. And when the, the sooner you realize that and get it, the like, yeah, guy, you know, that's why it's called a good cry. Yeah, I gotta lack it up a good cry. They are good. Yeah. Yes, and it, it just like it, it's okay to be angry sometimes. You know, it, it's as long as you're not like out like beating up other people or punching kids at Great Wolf Lodge. Like you'll be okay. <laughs> but it, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to cry. Like yeah. my one of my favorite stories about masculinity. You know, Terry Crews muscular uh, black guy played football he was in all the movies and he told the story about when he was sexually assaulted and he it was i think it was his agent um they were at a party and grabbed him by the dick and he was like oh my god and his first reaction was to punch this dude in the face and knock him out but his wife pulled him away and she said to him 
Terry, think about this. What's going to sell a better story in Hollywood? Is it going to be Terry Crews was sexually assaulted and beat a guy up or angry actor Terry Crews lashes out for no reason? Obviously, that guy's going to lie about it. Terry knew because he was a man, no one would believe that he was sexually assaulted. No one would believe that a big muscular dude that could, could lift you and I together was sexually assaulted. And he was trapped for months. And he just, it, it kept bothering him and haunting him. And then that Me Too movement came out. And he finally, he was trying to press charges against this guy, but no one believed him. Everyone just shrugged it off. They were just going to let it go. Like, oh, you know, I don't think this guy got sexually assaulted, whatever the case may be. And then the Me Too movement came out and he actually spoke up about it on Twitter. And then he was like a big activist for it. And people gave him shit for it. And we're like, there's no way this guy, because he's a man and because he's strong and he's big and we have this image of how men are supposed to be. But Terry Crews cries. Terry Crews is sad, just like you are, you know, like uh, it, it's, it's crazy that that is the perception we've put on, on people. And it's now turning into a mental health issue and people are afraid to talk about it. So people are just, taking their own lives because they don't want to open up and be like, I'm sad. I, I don't feel okay. I'm actually really anxious. You know, it's, and I, I don't, in my own experience of people I've talked to, we might call it, uh, you know, I'm afraid of opening up, but the fear is the judgment of others. Once I do open up. Yes. Yeah. It's the reaction. And, and you see it. So when you see a celebrity open about something and you see, you know, people applaud, but they also, the trolls come out and they're under attack. And I love the, you know, Terry's on my, uh, he's my number two on my uh, top 10 dream guest list. So nice. So if you're listening, Mr. Cruz, you know, reach out. <laughs> I'm but, sure uh, he is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he's, uh, and beyond just that instance, he is someone that is so out there and open and breaking stereotypes around masculinity. Good. And, it, and it's, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. I, I really, uh, I, I like and respect him a, a, a great deal. He's, he's a, he's a great guy. We need more awareness about that stuff. Cause I actually, I had an interesting conversation with a friend and he was just like, man, why? Like you don't have to feel, you know, and it, it was actually, it's a, I think it's a deep rooted thing for him. Um, yeah. you know, I'm not going to get too like into his story or anything like that, but you know, he had a rough childhood, you know, his dad walked out when he was younger and, and all this stuff. And, it kind of reminds me, you know, and I, I think through this, I've, I've like realized that you're right about, you know, that strength. My definition of strength that started at the beginning of this podcast is different now because I, it wasn't, I didn't make any emotional growth or human growth when I was being tough for my mom and my sister. The growth came when I broke down and it, it all affected me at once. And I went through that breakup where I was in school and, and my dad always wanted me to graduate. So I was never a top student. I actually dropped out of community college and I failed my way through school. And I was like, what am I going to do with my life? And then I had a breakthrough and I went back to school and all this other stuff. And so my last semester in college, I was like, my dad was like, you know, he didn't, he didn't knew, know he was going to die. He just went, but he always said like, I really want you to graduate. He didn't graduate. My sister didn't. My mom didn't, nobody in the family. So he wanted me to do it. So I knew that that was my thing. So I just distracted myself, worked my ass off, graduated with honors, you know? So life was great. I graduated with honors. I have this beautiful girlfriend, um, you know, got an awesome kick-ass internship. And then two months later, broken up out of school and the internship's over. What do I do with my life now? Oh my God, my dad's dead. Are you serious? Like he's really gone. He's never coming back. A year later, he's never coming back. It wasn't then when my sister and my mom were crying. And then at, at this point, now they had to be strong for me. Because this is when I was finally dealing with the trauma. So I look back at, you know, my friend and, and he's like, oh, you know, you have to. The emotion, like, you know, feel sad. And he went through a rough breakup and his dad wasn't there. And, him, you know, he had abandonment issues with his mom. And it's because he, he just 
shrugs it off and he deals with it every single day and you wake up and then you, you lash out, you know, don't, one of my favorite quotes is don't bleed on people who didn't cut you. And that's what happens if you don't deal with your problems. You bleed on people who didn't cut you. Yeah. It blows up 10 years later in your face. It will come back. Yeah. It will, no matter how much you fight it or push it away, it will get you one day. It's, it's, you know, I've, I've never had this discussion too. And it's really, I'm really seeing that, that when, when it's used as it's most used in society, like being strong and I got to be strong for them and they're strong for me. That, that way, that reference of being strong is it's being fake. It is. Yeah. And I'm going to pretend I don't hurt so you can show your emotions. And then sometime later, maybe I can stop pretending and someone will be there to pretend they don't hurt and they can, right. But it's all, it's such bullshit. It like, is. You know, we, we have mirror neurons. We're built to reflect the emotion that we see in someone else. That's why when someone does, you go to a, a movie or someone, what, your mom and your sister are crying and you're being strong, you still want to cry. You yeah. want to match that emotion. Like, and, and since that's there, since it's part of us, well, it must be that if we match the emotion, it's easier for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, fuck, I'm pissed now. <laughs> I want to go hang out at mortuaries and stop telling people to be strong. You're being fucking fake. <laughs> so much strength and vulnerability. Yeah. And yeah. I, That's I what true strength is. Through my last relationship where when I first met this girl, I told myself that I was going to be so vulnerable. And it paid off because I, it allowed me to love more and allowed me to open up more. And like, I actually felt more in that relationship than I ever have felt anything else. Mm -hmm. And it ended so crappy and it like really hurt me. But like at the end of it, like I loved and I gave everything I could because I was vulnerable. And that took a lot for me to like, Hey, what was like, you know, a really tough experience, like to sit there and, and tell her everything about like my dad and, you know, to sit there and talk about, you know, times where I wasn't as strong or when I was weak and I showed emotion, like that was really hard for me. And it's like, when you think about it, you're like, wow, it, strength to show weakness. What? That doesn't make any sense. I'm a man. That's not how it's born. But no, that is actually it because then you're okay. Like I, you know, everything I've went through, I recently opened up. And I told, I posted a thing on Facebook and I had a lot of people that messaged me. I had a lot of guys that messaged me and were like, Hey man, like I have really bad anxiety or like, I've been really depressed. Thank you for sharing this. And it was like, I never did it to like, look at me, look at me. It was because I wanted to show people that like, we're all in the same here. Like we're all in the same ship and you know, we all go through it. And like, I sat there, I looked at some of these guys. There was one dude that messaged me. I used to work with them handsome he's got a beautiful girlfriend he's got a great job like you would think you know you look at him on social media he's got his life together and he was coming to me and he's like man i come home and i drink because it's the only thing that i don't feel anything like i just don't want to feel anymore it's like no feel like actually feel and deal with it because guess what when you do that your depression will go away your depression will subside or no it's not that it goes away you just get stronger from it that's what happens yeah you grow yeah i to me, it's a big trigger point. I, I listen to that because I recognize it myself, but oh, I'm sick of feeling. I don't want to feel. No, that, that means you haven't felt yet. Yeah. There, there, there's feelings that you can censor there that you don't want to deal with. And so you haven't, you haven't felt enough. And when right. someone says, I don't want to feel anymore. No, you haven't, you haven't started, my friend. Right. <laughs> and it, it's not easy. It's really hard. But, but that's where your growth comes. When you can sit down and you can say, you know what? I'm finally going to deal with the fact that my dad left me when I was younger. You know what? I'm finally going to deal with the fact that I got cheated on by the girl that I gave an engagement ring to. You know, when you sit down and you, that's where your strength and your growth comes from. And when you do that, that's where you literally level the fuck up as a human being. That's when you grow and that's when awesome things happen. And my favorite quote is life doesn't get easier. You just get stronger. And it's like, 
when you conquer one challenge in life, people think their reward is like this awesome, esoteric, you know, I, like a tro, like a you know, an emotional trophy that you get. You don't get that. You know what you get? You get an even tougher challenge. That's how life works. When you get knocked down and you stand back up and fight back, a bigger boss comes to get you next. But guess what? You leveled up. Now you can fight that boss. And that's what life is about. And that's why like, I love weightlifting and powerlifting because that's the goal. 45 pounds is 45 pounds no matter what weight you cut it. But eventually that 45 pounds becomes lighter and now it becomes 90 pounds. You get stronger. Like that's such a, a, a metaphor for life. And that's what happens when you actually deal with your problems because forever you're going to plateau and that 45 pounds is going to be really hard to lift for a really long time until you decide that I actually want to do it and get stronger and you start working on that weight. And it's like when you deal with whatever traumas you have as a man, it's okay. There's people out there that actually care about you. There's people out there that want to see you succeed, you know, and, and, and for women out there who are listening right now, like we, you need, we need to comfort guys more and you need to let them know that it's okay. Like it's okay to cry. It's okay to show emotion. It's okay to still be sad from, you know, something that went terribly wrong when you were a kid, you know, you had your favorite ball and then it was in your dad's car and then your dad never came back and you lost your favorite ball and you lost your dad. And now you're like, you know, messed up from it weird psychological stuff like that's okay we all have problems nobody's perfect nobody lives a perfect life so just sit down and deal with it you have like make a list of all the things that bother you and go see a therapist and just go one by one you know you don't have to it's like when you if you cut yourself and you went to the emergency room what's the first thing they're going to do stop the bleeding go stop your bleeding first and then deal with the cut right yeah and too many guys it's like oh i cut my finger i'll just put it behind my back for a while Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's how that's the uh the false version of being strong yeah, yeah it's just a flesh wound right <laughs> don't need that arm <laughs> i'll admit andy you know you you've changed my perspective on strength it's not that oh you have to be strong for the people it's that you have to you can like show your emotions like you can cry in front of your kids because you know what that's going to show them that it's okay to cry right. and then you know, they're going to be like, oh, geez, and they're not going to harbor any emotions. And, yeah. and you, you build that pattern up. So I, I truly believe that strength is in vulnerability. My work is done here. <laughs> My work is done here. <laughs> and I, you mentioned something earlier that I got I to share with you. Um, you. You mentioned dropping out of community college. Yeah. I know from Facebook what, what community college you're referring to. Yes. And I, got, I, I flunked out of that place, too. Really? Cause I, yeah, because I just didn't give a fuck. I, I went from straight A's to straight F's because I saw, I forgot. I was, oh, I'm going there? I forgot. But I just, but yeah. That's so. funny. Yeah, I uh, I dropped out because I just, I was like, fuck school. I want to go make money and I don't need this. And I uh, I dropped out and then I like realized like, a couple years later, my life, I was just working a dead-end job. My life wasn't going anywhere. I was like, damn, I could do something. So I called them back and they were like, okay, you have to go through an appeal process. Like, oh shit. So I had to write this paper and I had to go in front of like the board and they accepted me and I was put on probation. And then, you know, I graduated, I got my associates and I went on, got my bachelor's, graduated with honors. Like one thing that I really want to share with your listeners here is nothing is permanent and you can literally overcome anything you want in your life. I know people who were diagnosed with cancer and told that they only had, and like, I know it sounds so cliche, but I literally know somebody that was diagnosed with cancer and they're like, uh, you're probably not going to be able to live again. She lived. Also, they were told her, you know what? Uh, you weren't going to have kids and she just had a baby. So it's like, there's so much that you can overcome. And if there's anyone out there, that's like listening to what we, our conversation. And they were like, you know what? I don't think that I can deal with X, ABC, whatever it is. You can't, it's a lot of work. You have to be brave. You have to be strong. But when you can get over that, 
the, the doors that open up in your life are insane. You can literally overcome any obstacle that you face. It's just, you have to go to fuck the fucking put the work in at the end yeah. of the day. You got to yeah. deal with it. And sometimes, you know, I, I, for me growing up here, hearing that, it, you know, it, it's truth, but it doesn't always land well. Yeah. Right? Uh, some, you know, someone has overcome and there are thousands, millions of people that have overcome anything that's bothering you. I'm like, well, great. Now I'm a bigger loser because everyone else can overcome and I can't. Right. So it works both. But that's when you're in that self-pity boat. But when you're only, when you're finally, you know, when, when each of us hit our, you know, the personal rock bottom, when, when we're sick and tired of feeling sick and tired and we're ready to take action, there are all sorts, the world's full of people that you can model. Yeah. You, you know, you can do it, but no, no one's going to do it for you. All the people that succeeded aren't going to come and, you know, do an intervention for you and pick you up, you know, but they're, they're people to model. There are paths to follow. So yeah, there's, there is always, there's always a way to feel better. Yeah. No, no matter what's going on. Whatever you're going with, like one of my, the worst conceptions that we have is that this is like end all be all. Like if you get a job, oh my God, this is a job that I'm going to work at for the next 70 years of my life. And then I'm going to retire. It better be a good one. Like if you actually believe that, if you actually think that the car that you bought a year ago is the car that you're going to drive until you lose your license because you're too old, like it's, it's all fake. Like, so anything, there's no difference from what you're experiencing right now, even if it is a trauma, even if it is a mental health issue, like if you're really depressed, if you really want to end it, if you, man, I don't know how I can go. You can go, you can get over this, you know, you can over, as you know, you're a walking success story, Andy, you know, you've inspired and helped and, and, and pushed so many people just by sharing your strength and your story. And I bet for you, it didn't all come to fruition until you actually realized and started dealing with your traumas and, and you know, the, the, the thoughts and everything, the depression that you had, like when you actually sat down and dealt with it, you know, I'm, I'm, that, that might've been your breakthrough. I don't know if it was, but I can only assume, you know, that's when you really started to push through that stuff. Yeah. That's a fine assumption. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, it's not linear. So yeah, like there, there are many times. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. I, I've lost track of how many times I've given up, but I know I pressed on at least one more. And that's all you can do. Tomorrow's, yeah. tomorrow's a new day. Like it's cliche, but that's the truth. Yeah. I and mean, well, most cliches are rooted in some truth yeah. and it's, it's a truth that people don't want to hear. So we call it a cliche. They're all honest. It's, you know, it, like if you think that right now this depression will be forever and I'm going to be stuck this way. And I, uh, when, when I was going through anxiety, I joined some support groups on Facebook and the amount of people that were just so stuck and they were just like, oh, man, like, this is just so hard. I don't know how I can go on. And then you, like, read their comments, and you find out, like, every time I have a panic attack, I take an Ativan. But then, like, five hours later, it's, it comes back. Yeah, no shit. Because you're just pushing it off. You know, you're just – every day, I'm going to take an Ativan, panic attack. I'm going to take an Ativan, panic attack. It's always going to be there. That, that door is always open for it to come back. But when yeah. you – you stop and you stop taking the advance. You stop taking the antidepressants. You stop running from this stuff. When you stop running from your childhood traumas and you sit down and you just face it and you work with it, like get someone to help you through it too, because it's going to be really fucking hard. Get a therapist, get a psychiatrist, talk to a loved one about it. Like open up about this stuff and, and really work through them. Like you, it's, it's almost ties into my anxiety. Like you remove the fear from it. When you deal with your, your traumas, you remove like, yeah, you could have grown up without, like Will Smith grew up without a father his whole life. Fantastic dad now, super successful, music, movies, everything. He had no father in his life. LeBron James doesn't have a father in his life. So if you are watching this right now and you grew up without a dad, 
if you think that you can't be successful and get your life together because you didn't have a dad because your dad walked out because you feel he didn't want you and it was something that had to do with you or whatever it may be, you're fucking wrong. I'm sorry. There's people who have gotten over that. I'm sure it took a lot from Will Smith and LeBron James and all those people to work and get to that point. But look at them. They did it. You know, you talk about the, the successful people and the, the blueprints you could follow. There is somebody out there that had what you had 10 times worse and is still doing well for themselves. And so you, whatever you're born into, whatever situations you occur, even if it wasn't your fault, it is your responsibility to fix it. Maybe, you know, I, I did everything I could. I loved my, my, my fiance and I did everything I could, but then she just left me. Okay, that sucks. You did everything you could, but now it's your responsibility to fix it. Not hers, not anyone else's. It's the same thing with your traumas. It's the same thing with your emotions. They're your emotions. It's your responsibility to, to work through them and fix it. And the only way to get to where you want is through the other side of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. On the, on the other side of every horrible emotion is a better feeling place. Yes. And if you're not willing to push through that, you're, you're never going to be done with that. Like I think at Winston Churchill, when, when you're going through hell, keep going. Keep going. Freaking simple. It, <laughs> exactly what you asked me at the beginning and then you brought it up and it was like it's the truth like i thought that that was strength and that's honestly how i've always had a view of both sides of strength but through this conversation and, and, and connecting with you it's like no that's not strength at all holding it together and being strong for somebody that's not strength at all it's 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 actually showing that emotion and like you said hell keep going like that's what you know uh, Kobe Bryant always says that don't rest while you're doing it rest at the end like just push through your workouts just push through whatever mental barriers you have just, just go and just like you'll you'll realize that whatever you were holding on to was just weighing you down mm. traumas you were like you're okay you're still standing today you're still a successful human being you still have a reason to live so go find out what's weighing you down so that you could spread your wings. Like go, let go of that shit. It, you don't, you don't have to have it, but you have to deal with it. Cool. You have to feel it. So you've shared a lot of, of different things that have, that have helped you when CBT and therapy and, and, and books and programs and, and just, just sitting and, and pushing through it. Um, is there anything else or one of those that you really want to nail that like what has helped you most that you really want to share? The dare response. Um, so the dare response is it's the, it's basically everything I explained in the CBT. And what you do is if you have a depressive thought, if you have an anxious thought, if you have an anxious sensation, if you're going through a panic attack, if you're having anxiety, you disengage with it. So what you're supposed to do is, is you almost like, you know, Oh, my heart's racing. Oh, whatever it could, you know, your hearts are designed to race. Like think about this. I, I talked to a girl recently that's going through some really tough anxiety, a lot of panic attacks every day. And she's like, I can't catch my breath, but you can, like you've, you've been able to breathe fine through every panic attack you've ever had. So relax. She's like, yeah, but my heart just beats really fast. And it's like, do you think that when you go to the gym, like if you went to, if you told your doctor, doctor, I'm working out five days a week and my heart beats really faster and all that. You think he's going to be like, oh my God, we have to get you in the emergency room. No, he's going to pat you on the back for going to the gym and busting your ass. So what's the difference from a panic attack? Just because you're not physically exerting yourself. So you sit there and you just go, whatever, it can beat fast. And then you accept it. Okay. I'm not, the resistance is the issue. And it, it ties into everything we're talking about. When you resist it, that's when you give it the power. And when you resist it, you actually, it's like a bully. If, if a bully keeps coming up to you every day and poking, saying, hey, Andy, you're bald, you're bald, you're bald. 
and you know, look at this shiny head and everything. They're gonna if you keep crying or if you keep getting upset with it. No, I'm not. Leave me alone. You wear a wig and you do all this stuff. The boy's gonna keep coming back. And I can say that because I'm just like you. So we're good. We're on the same page. Uh, but if they keep, they're gonna keep coming back. But if you just go whatever and you walk away, the boy's gonna get annoyed and go pick on somebody else. Anxiety is the same exact way. So you accept it and you just go, all right, my heart can race. Whatever. If I pass out, I'll, I know I'll be fine. My heart can take it. Worst case scenario is I'll pass out and I'll wake up and I won't have anxiety and I'll forget why I was even upset in the first place or why I was even anxious in the first place. So you, you disengage, you accept it. Then you reshift your focus into something else. So you immediately just try like one of my favorite things, I had this really stupid game on my phone. And when I would have a panic attack, I'd do this. And then I'd open up my phone and I would play. And it wasn't that I was distracting myself. It's my thoughts because there was nothing to fear. I already just, I accepted it. I worked through it. I dealt with it. Now I'm going to go do something else so that the anxious thought goes away. I have this really weird thing where as soon as I think of it's happening right now, my ears ring. As soon as I bring my awareness to my ears ringing and it, it only happens like when I'm anxious so like I'm still like coming down from everything. Like my body's still dumping all the adrenaline. So I'm still kind of experiencing a little bit of it. I'm not completely out of the woods, but so my ears will ring. But then I, the moment that I accept my ears ringing, they immediately stop ringing and I just go back on with my life and I do something else. So you, you know, talk yourself out of it. Oh, my heart can race. No worries about it. You accept it. Okay. My heart's racing. That's fine. Then you go do something else. And then you, you just, you experience life, you know, you just, just go on with whatever you were doing and just accept that it's there. And then next thing you know, you'll be thinking about doing something else. And all of a sudden you'll be like, Oh wow, that it's actually gone. Okay, cool. Hmm. And so for me, that was really the biggest thing was the dare response. Um, he's written by, uh, I think his name's Brian McDonough. He, uh, he did it for people with PTSD in the military, police officers, firefighters. Uh, he used the dare response for them to deal with their PTSD because you know, they have those flashbacks and those traumas. And he's, they're just flashbacks. That's all they are. You're not actually there. So it's, it's the same thing with anxiety they're, and same thing with life. Like there's actually nothing physically wrong with you. Like if you had an out-of-body experience, you would just be a human sitting in a chair. You know, anyone who's experienced panic and anxiety, you like – have like the worst thoughts ever but when you actually sit down and think about it you probably just sat quietly in your chair and just kind of like looked around and just you were fine like maybe you're sweating a little bit you know maybe you're looking around a little too fast but that's it like there's nothing physically wrong with you it's just your body's reaction to a thought and to a sensation and so for me and for everyone listening like go do yourself a favor and go get some of these books and really that's the cure it's not taking a, a an Ativan or a Xanax it's not you know, taking many antidepressants and going through it. Like I have a friend, she's going through it and she just took some antidepressants. She got adjusted to it and it made her worse. And she had really bad anxiety and it was even way worse. And her depression was really worse. And she actually harmed herself. And then she's like, oh, now I have to wean off of it. And then I have to start a new one. And she's going through it. And like, by the time that she's going to get on that medication, if she just sat down and just dealt with it, and just realize and remove the fear from it and face it head on, she could have cured herself entirely. But, and that's fine. I'm not knocking somebody who needs medication. I think that antidepressants are made for the person who can't literally, like can't mentally leave their bed because we can physically do it. You could physically do anything that your mental is telling you not to. Even at like the gym, you know, you know, I know you work out like you can like, oh, I can't finish this set. How am I going to do it? And then you do it. And you're like, okay, I can actually do it. It's the same thing with anxiety and depression and all that stuff. And so 
when you actually realize like, oh, you can do it, you can break down that barrier. And I think that's what medication's for. It's to get you to a point where you can deal with it. It's for people who are really low. It's for people who are like agoraphobic, the people who can't leave their bed because they just have the worst panic attacks ever and they pass out. That's who I think should be taking the Ativans and the Xanax and the Zolofs and all those, those medications to get you to a point where you can actually deal with it, not to get you to 100% so you can go back on with your life. That's the issue. And that's what people's problem is, is that they feel that you know, we live in a, in, a, in a microwave society where we want results and we want results now. You and I were talking about it where you become addicted to the cure. You want to find that thing that's going to get you out of whatever rut, whatever you're experiencing. So you race around to try to find it but you're the cure. It's inside of you dealing with your trauma. So anyone out there who's going through anxiety and panic, like you can, you can, you know, look me up. I will happily walk you through it and talk you to it. I'll send you all the tools I use. I was in a really rough shape. I couldn't even go to work. I couldn't leave my bedroom. I couldn't hang out with friends. Like I was just, I was such a shell of myself and I was in a completely dark place. And I am confidently sitting here today. And I feel like I, I kind of have this like chip on my shoulder and this edge about me. And I, I try to try to humble myself, but like I can look back and say that I did that with just the support of, of, of phenomenal people around me. And, but I didn't do it without medication. I never, I never actually went to the hospital, even though there was thousands of times where I was like, Oh my God, I have to go. Today's the day that I'm going to go to the hospital and go into a cycle. Never happened. I, I dealt with it. I faced it head on. You can do it too. I'm nothing special. I'm no different from you. I'm no different from anybody who's listening or watching right now. We're all wired the same. I bleed. My bones are, are built the same way as you. I'm just as much human as you are. You can, if I can do it, you can do it too. Cool. Uh, you've shared a lot of uh, uh, gems and I, I know people are getting a lot of this conversation. I, I want to thank you for that. And you mentioned, you know, people could reach out to you. So, so what are ways, what are the best ways someone can, uh, can follow what you're doing or reach out to you? Yeah. So I actually just started an Instagram page. I'm, a, I'm aspiring to be a motivational speaker and I really want to focus on people with mental health. Um, I would love to really inspire people that you can overcome anything. And I think to tie back to everything we talked about, the very beginning of our conversation, you asked me, why do, why do people want us to connect? Why do we think that happened? I think that's it because you have this beautiful gift, Andy, inside of you. You're a wonderful human being and you give this gift to people of inspiration, of success through your stories, through the things that you work through, through the things that you push through. And I almost feel like I can share my stories and try to reach those people who are going through it because when I was down, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. There's not, there's no tools. There's, you know, we have an issue in this, in this world where there's a very limited awareness of mental issues. And that's where a lot of it stems. So I just started an Instagram page. I really want to motivate people and inspire people. So it's, it's uh, at F I T Z O nine six six. So at Fitz O nine six six, or you can look me up on Facebook, Kevin Fitzmorris, um, F I T Z M A U R I C E. And I'm, I'm open to talk to anybody. And I, I try to share a lot of my story, my journey. And I just, I get like these random bouts of inspiration and I just try to share them with people. Uh, today, I, I shared a thing about shooting your shot. Um, and, and it really is, it's all about taking that first step. And a lot of people struggle with that. And I struggle with it a lot in my life. And then I just started fucking doing it. Like things that I thought of that I wanted to get done, you know, and you never know what could happen. A couple of years ago, I, I, you know, started my own business and it all just started as a little thought. And the next thing I sit here and I have my own studio and logo and shows and all sorts of fun sports stuff that we do. And it just started from a thought. So, um, anyone who wants to look me up, I'm happy to talk to anyone and help anybody that needs it. Cool. So I'll be sure and list at uh, realmanfield.org on the blog post, the show notes for the show. 
Uh, we'll get all the ways to contact Kevin, and uh, we'll get links to all the books that he's mentioned, everything that's helped him so far. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and keep, keep, keep taking those steps, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody out there, you can overcome anything. You just gotta, you just gotta push through. Andy, I can't thank you enough. I had a ton of fun. What you do here, this platform is amazing. You keep on keeping on. I have no choice. <laughs> I'm in for the long haul. But uh, so thanks, Kevin, again, um, and thanks to Sam and Jay Lee for putting us together. Nice. Thanks to everyone else uh, listening. I hope you got a lot out of this. And wherever you are in your journey, give yourself a break. For what you've been going through and give yourself some credit for going through it and as always be good to yourself thank you for listening to real men feel contact us at real at gmail.com learn more about andy grant at theandygrant.com please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on apple podcasts google play spotify TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering real men feel 